everyone. Welcome back to the Dungeons Mastered Podcast. I'm Brian. And I'm Jeff. And we're joined yet again by the wonderful Brittany. Hello, hello. What are we going to talk about today, Jeff? Today, we're going to talk about borrowing or stealing, in many circumstances, ideas from pop culture to integrate into your games. This is such a great way to find different things to bring into your game that are really well-known story pieces. And that, you know, we were talking a little bit beforehand about how there's a couple of ways you can go about doing this. You can be very um, straightforward with it. Blatant, like, overt. very blatant. Yeah. I'm stealing this from Star Wars. Oh, totally. You know, or you can take these just different fantasy tropes or different story tropes. And you can integrate them into your world in such a way that the characters would have to be really, really paying attention to figure out that you're doing that. Totally. And there's even game systems that have been evolved specifically to have a game in the setting that you want to have it in. You know, Star Wars has a ton of their own rule sets for their settings that integrate all those things. But there's also a way, you know, the one that we're most familiar with is Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. And the system is built in such a way that it can accept a lot of uh, homebrew material that people are putting out there, as well as input from you as the dungeon master to be able to make it into whatever it is that you want it to be. And I've really enjoyed being able to pull from a number of different you know, flavors on the fantasy genre that integrate a bunch of the really, you know, like uh, tinkerers and mechanical kind of things are, are really, really enjoyable to me. In addition to bringing in uh, Transylvanian themes and high ma- fantasy magical city kind of stuff. And I've just, yeah, very much enjoyed being able to pull from pop culture entities to be able to bring into my own games. Yeah, absolutely. When we were talking about um, ways that other games have adopted the system, you can do, there's like whole Harry Potter and Pokemon ways of running in oh, 5e. Oh yeah, totally. I, I, I have a, a a module that has a bunch of rules for bringing Pokemon trainers into the game so that you can actually have physical Pokemon to, to fight in your yeah. Dungeons & Dragons 5th yeah. edition campaign. Very, very cool. like so much fun. <laughs> so what is, give me an example of a setting that you've enjoyed pulling from or a story that you've enjoyed pulling from and have maybe even actually used in your games right now. Yeah. So in particular, the one that, that I have in my home game that I'm running at the moment, uh, we call it the Thick Tears campaign. It's, it's basically a monster hunter kind of game. And the, the premise is that there's all these crazy monsters that are coming out of the forest, a lot of which you can find in the monster manual that just have giant versions of regular beasts. But I've also introduced kind of these uh these twisted abominations that are are magical beasts that have been stitched together by pieces of magic to make them into something very far from what they were in the beginning and the place where i pulled that was actually from world of warcraft which i i know that you've That's played an as well easy place and, to that, pull yeah. from. and that has a ton of great examples of, of not only characters but settings and quest lines and and all number of things and uh that particular piece of pop culture is coming from uh Hemet Nessingwary on his part of uh, Stranglethorn Vale and his sending adventurers out to go uh slay these beasts when they're causing trouble or to just get you know the 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 magical or very powerful uh supplies that come off of of the monsters and uh, bringing that into having like little literal monster parts that are important for quests in my game has been super fun to pull off that inspiration and just have it be kind of this monster hunting space where every part is used and you're fighting these fantastical monsters that don't work in the same way as regular monsters and i've just had a blast with it 
So, and if I remember correctly, the reason that you went with this sort of monster hunt concept was because you had kind of a revolving door of like 10 different players. I did, yeah. I think at the moment it has an option to have, uh, I have eight players that have been involved and come back and forth in the game, yeah. Uh, one of which was me, uh, but, you know, uh, having a baby will usually yeah. limit how often you can oh, go yeah. to games. I understand the uh, the absence of Grix and uh, your wife, Azelina. That's uh, totally understandable. We keep trying to get her <laughs> back out to the games, but it's challenging. But I remember, I think, you know, you had described it as this monster hunt was a way for us to kind of, you know, take people in and out of the game uh, as needed because you were sort of working around the central hub. But you definitely had this whole overarching storyline with this stitched together characters. And there's ways that you can, you know, look at other parts of World of Warcraft and, you know, pick those ideas out. Uh, And it's just a great place to pull different themes and different ideas from. Oh, absolutely. And I know you've probably pulled a few things from World of Warcraft yourself, right? Not as much as you'd think, actually. And the reason for that is I pull a lot of inspiration from a game that's older than that. And I've talked about it a little bit before in EverQuest. EverQuest, And seriously, right. if you ever want to lose most of your day talking to me about something, bring, <laughs> bring up, up EverQuest. EverQuest. Got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have a long standing history with that game and it is a very, you know, going back and playing it after a couple of years, after a lot of years and seeing that there's a lot of um, D and D esque things about that game. It was really an online version of D and D and it's in its kind of initial forms and the ways that the game was played. There was a lot of that. You could do whatever you wanted to. Um, but the, what I've pulled from that game a lot is the way that a lot of the races play together. Um, and in particular, Whenever we're going to go into the different planes of existences, especially the elemental ones, yeah, there's so much uh, visual description that I'm going to pull from EverQuest, from the plane of fire, from the plane of water, the plane of earth, just these places that are really, really fun raid areas, end game zones for EverQuest will turn into really great inspiration for how to visualize these places as the players get the opportunity to go see them. And in fact, I should even mention, this came to my brain right now, just this moment. (laughs) Original idea. Original idea. Incoming. So we talked about this on the last, I think it was the last episode of the podcast, where we had run a vampire one-shot. Right. Right. And uh, I didn't want to pull from anything that was already in D&D because, well, the idea came up to me that, well, we're just going to, run Chris Stroud after this. So I don't want to run you guys through Ravenloft if I'm going to have you guys run through Ravenloft later. So what I did was first thing that popped in my head when I was trying to figure out how I wanted to build out a vampire castle was hey, this is a vampire castle in EverQuest. And the cool part about EverQuest was way back in the day, the only way you could get maps for that was ones that were generated online and posted on the internet. So oh, I wonder if they're still there. So I went on the internet and I went to this website and I found Sure enough, maps to Castle Mistmore, and I printed them all out, and I said, this is my map for the one shot tonight. Oh, no way. So taking us through like the crypts, I think we went through first, mm-hmm. and then and then there was that room that had the vampire spawn in it, and then the kind of upper area that had the vampire itself that's kind of like his master's quarters and everything. That was all from from those maps? Yeah, you, uh, you guys had really two options to enter the castle. Right. One was through the front door, which intelligently you did not do right <laughs> and the other one was kind of through this crypt area and had this sort of outdoor way of getting in through the castle itself and some of it i was pulling a little bit from memory because it's been a long time since i've actually played through that zone but all the maps were printed from that and that was how we 
navigated through the castle was through these maps that I used from EverQuest. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, uh, thinking about it now, there's been a couple of times when I've been just thinking about the the setting in which I'm having something happen. And I had planned, uh, which you guys didn't end up exploring on that volcano that you went to, to have an opportunity to go into the volcano itself. And I was very heavily pulling my inspiration for what that setting was even going to look like from the fight uh, between Anakin and Obi-Wan at the end, (laughs) at the end of episode three uh, for star Wars. And just like that, that volcanic atmosphere that has, because uh, there were going to be, you know, some intelligent creatures in there. The the base that's located in the volcano itself that's got all that uh, heat resistant plating and everything, and just yeah, totally. Well, I mean, between that and Black Rock Mountain, <laughs> Black Rock Mountain. Oh yeah, yeah, and they got the dungeons in there and everything. Oh, yeah. That's oh, that's a great it's perfect. Of inspiration. It's perfect. Yeah. And in fact, it was kind of funny because I decided I think later, you know what? If I'm ever looking for for just a dungeon map that almost nobody's going to know that I'm using this dungeon map from EverQuest. <laughs> I'm just going to go eqatlas.com. I think it's still up and you can find all these great dungeon maps <laughs> and nobody will know that you're using them. <laughs> I might have to go check that out. Uh, if not only um, to get ahead of the maps that you're trying to pull yourself for the games that I'm playing. Uh, it's a good thing there's a ton of maps. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the the vampire one shot I was remembering uh, reminding me that um that I had uh, uh been been making a number of one shots lately that I I wanted to be very much on theme for for one particular uh type of of genre and the one I'm thinking of in particular is I I've been writing the shipwrecked and the Sahagan Sea one shot recently and mm-hmm. pulling inspiration from uh jaws in particular is what I've been doing Ooh. with that yeah Ooh, yeah, that's so, different. So I've 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 gotten a little bit of the music together. I've gotten a little bit of the setting together, and very much the suspenseful nature of oh, don't go in the water kind of thing has really really fueled my uh, my creation of that one. I also have uh, Plunderers of the Tomb of Anket, which is very much going to pull from the the Mummy series. The yes. dives into the into the tombs in in that realm, and a couple other ones that I've been just kind of working on in the background that. Yeah, that that I love, you know, being able to pull uh, from from popular meter examples. One of the uh, one of the ones that I've run right uh, is Gladiators of the Death Spell Dome, which I I really enjoyed and was able to pull not only music from, but also you know some setting pieces from the Gladiator movie with Russell Crowe, and it just it, it it's so much fun to like basically recreate those scenes with fantasy elements involved. It's basically like like. Russell Crowe as the gladiator standing in front of a Dungeons and Dragons Hydra was a super fun way to kind of give give credence to give an homage to uh, those pieces of pop culture. Is it bad that every time I hear Russell Crowe, all I can think of is that South Park episode where they made fun of him for fighting around the world and playing music? <laughs> He's done other things. <laughs> Maybe. You know, a couple of things popped up in my head when you were talking about your inspiration for these one shots and you're talking about the Jaws inspiration for your at sea adventure. And I think the first one that's easy to pop into mind for a sea adventure is obviously Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, absolutely. But I was even thinking like Waterworld would be a really interesting one, you know, where you're not even touching land for a lot of that. You're just on ships moving between these big water cities. Some really cool stuff you can pull from that. You know, you were talking about the gladiator piece. And I think the series Spartacus 
Ooh, yeah. Great place to pull some really fun, you know, inspiration for I think those. I was talking to you about making that that one shot and you had pointed me in that direction and I, I didn't end up watching it, but I will someday. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a super cool show. <laughs> Definitely don't let your kids watch it. Okay. <laughs> Definitely don't let your kids watch it, yeah, but it's pretty old too, right? It's getting there. Yeah. Okay. It's getting there. Okay. So yeah, I think th- there's just so much that you can use, even if you're not pulling the whole story or the theme, some of it can just be visual inspiration, right? where you're trying to figure out how how am I going to visualize this for my players and for myself. Right. And there's so important to make sure that you're really describing the way that a place looks, the way that a place feels, and it can be hard when you when you know you've not ever really seen what this is that you're trying to describe. So pulling from pop culture in a way to help describe how you felt when you saw that in a movie can go a long way to make sure that your players really feel like they're in that space. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know you'd wanted to talk a little bit about the music that you've brought into Huge. your games uh, because Huge. of your musical musical background in particular. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a pretty much a lifelong musician. Uh, I'm at the point now where when somebody asks how long I've been playing the drums, I have to actually think about it <laughs> and like put a year to it and do a little bit of math in my head. And I'm like, okay, wow, it's been almost 20 years. You know, uh, music is so important to driving the feel of a theme in the game. And I know that it can be really hard to pay close attention to when you hit certain bits of music, when you're playing certain things, when you have a lot of stuff going on in your game, you're trying to manage so many different things. And, oh, remember that you're supposed to change this music. Right. Um, but I had my players be uh, the DJ for the session on a couple of occasions. Just, you, you know, what, oh, I've what's good combat music before. I've helped. I've helped. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, we were talking a little earlier today, and, and I would mention that in planning sessions, a lot of times, if I have enough time to really plan the session, I will also plan what music I intend on playing in certain areas. So there'll be a theme that I want to go through when you're out in the forest. There's a theme I want to go through when you're in a town, when you're in a tavern, when you're doing these different things. And that's not new, right? That's a huge part of how a lot of guys like to run their games. A lot of guys and gals like to run their games. Of course. But it's just a piece you don't want to overlook. And I think what ties us back to pop culture and music is looking at movie scores, video games, these different places for music to use in your games is so huge. Absolutely. And I think uh, uh, there's been a number of circumstances where I've looked to uh, a couple pieces of pop culture to help create a particular setting with uh, some prominent examples being Doom. I mm. absolutely love the Doom soundtrack <laughs> for very intense fights, uh, but I've also pulled on uh, stuff from the Witcher games. Uh, which, yeah, we both do that. Which uh, admittedly is, is more because they're part of a larger playlist that I found on Reddit one day that was just, all right, here's your suspenseful playlist. Here's your main boss fight playlist. Here's your casually walking in the forest kind of playlist. Yeah. And then I've pulled from Pirates of the Caribbean. I think we've talked about. I actually found a couple of clips. Uh, one of them was a metal version of the Jaws theme. Yes. Just for <laughs> Thank you. Now I need to play to, this one. To so. add some uh, high level intensity to the fights when they actually happen when you're fighting the sharks in Sahagan. And yeah, there's there's a number of other places where I pulled these types of music to to really really encourage a, a feel. And I guess 
I'm curious what your perspective is on being very blatant and putting those examples in there when people absolutely know the music versus should I pull something that is very on theme, but maybe the players wouldn't know from their experience of listening to pop culture kind of things. It's very dependent on the situation. Yeah. At the end of the day, if somebody recognizes a song, I don't really care. I'm not like looking for something that people will recognize every time. I think there's a place for that, right? Like you used BFG division in our level 21 shot and that was <laughs> rad. Yeah. Right. Maybe not the most fitting music for a fantasy style game, but for a huge epic level 20 fight. Sweet. Um, my thing is I look more for what's going to be thematic to the moment that I'm looking for. And I have a couple examples that I really liked um, that I used. Uh, one was in the uh, shop for Fenric, the guy, the, the, my NPC that we talked about last week. I very much wanted to have a gear sound going on in the background. Like mm-hmm. you could really tell this was a tinkerer's place. So I found a great song. It was called Gears and Cogs um, from a steampunk soundtrack. And it was perfect, right? Perfect <laughs> setting. Um, another one was we had a, a chase in one of the recent games. You guys were being chased by Vampire Spawn, and I wanted something really tense and really great for that moment. And so the first thing that my brain went to was Assassin's Creed because there's all kinds of chases in that game. So I went through and I found the songs that really fit for that. And then uh, really the, my last two examples were uh, I was watching Clash of the Titans and I, I texted you, I think, while I was watching the movie, and I said, dude. <laughs> yeah, I remember I, that. I just caught this bit of the soundtrack that I need to use in one of my games. And it's funny how after you really get into playing the game, you start to pay attention to these things a little bit more. I never would have thought about listening to a movie soundtrack to find moments for a game. And that popped up in there. Uh, and then lastly, there was, um, if any of you have played Divinity Original Sin 2, I was super excited when that soundtrack made its way onto Spotify so I could use it. But there's a creator on YouTube that likes to do a lot of great builds in the game for different characters. And this guy has got some awesome soundtrack stuff that he pulls from. And in fact, he had a song in one of his soundtracks for this really epic kind of bad guy that he was building that was from League of Legends. And I've used that as a big, big, bad boss music <laughs> as often as I can because it's so epic and so awesome. So it, it's thematic and it's whatever really fits that moment is what I go for versus okay. something you would pay attention to. I don't know about what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And and beyond talking about, about music, about themes, I know that I've personally pulled from pop culture to create magic items and NPCs and very much build those characters and those settings and those magic items around real world examples. I mean, th- there's great examples on, on D&D subreddits that I've seen where people put up illustrations of, of items from, from pop culture media. Uh, the one I'm thinking of in particular is an energy sword from the Halo series. Mm-hmm. And then they have, uh, you know, they have uh, lightsaber from, uh, from Star Wars and any number of other examples like that. And the one that I I have to mention that I still haven't gotten a laugh out of yet, just just head shakes, is uh, I introduced a pole arm to one of my players as a as a magic items that that they could use, and I described it as having these animal runes carved all over it, and at the very top, right before it got to the blade, it had the head of a monkey on it, and I told him to look, you know, at the at the bottom of of the staff, and he saw very 
small an inscription written in I think it was Elvish or something that said Haram Bane on it. And I got the biggest kick out of it and it still hasn't <laughs> elicited much of a laugh yet, but I love it. It's not gonna elicit a laugh. <laughs> it's gonna elicit groans and head shakes. And that's just as good. All right. I'll take it. Just as good. I, I really think, you know, the response is is how you should expect it to be. It's very much like, oh really, dude. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect, because then it makes you laugh, and you're getting the laugh that you wanted. Exactly. Um, DM's got to have fun, too. Hey, that's it, man. <laughs> you know, I've not, unfortunately, I'm, I'm thinking about doing this more now. I've not thought about a lot of, like, homebrew magic items from these kinds of stories. I went a little bit overboard with homebrew magic items because I didn't really read the full list of magic items that were available. <laughs> I didn't realize that there were plenty to pull from already. <laughs> yeah, but it's still fun to to yeah. throw those little bits of flavor on your own side into there. Yeah. And, it's and I really enjoyed I do more. creating magic items very specifically for, for some players in my game that I know can really benefit what they're doing in a unique and interesting way that I'm sure there's something that could do something similar in what's uh, in the list of magic items in the dungeon master guide but i just wanted to make something super specific for a player and if you can bring a piece of pop culture into it, it and, and you can if make you can a meme, meme out of it, it yes. then all the better right always meme <laughs> it you know i think there's a whole nother discussion that can be had about how different dms handle giving magic items to their players oh totally we'll definitely have to get into that at some point yeah there was one last thing that i wanted to catch on with this and that was really looking at D&D content as ways to inspire yourself in your own homebrew world, oh, totally. right? It's a great reason to play a module just to see how an adventure is made and how they, they set things up. But not only the modules, thinking about um, books that have some great content in it. Like we were talking earlier, I said, one of the best ways to flavor up your combat, if you really want to flavor up your combat, is to read some R.A. Salvatore books. Because the way that he writes combat is so exciting. And you're just sitting there reading a book and you're getting all pumped up. Listen, you're just reading the way that this <laughs> that these fights are going, especially in the Drist series. And speaking of the Drist series, if you're ever looking for a great way to understand the Underdark a little better, ooh, ooh there's some good, good content in there. Because there's, there's not a huge amount of content out for the Underdark. You got to kind of search for it. I've been hanging on to Brian's uh, book for... A couple of months now. I promise I'll get around to reading it someday. It's been more than that. <laughs> I've almost forgotten that you have it. It's been that long. All right. So we want to talk a little bit about how to bring it into your own game, a little bit of uh, uh, tips on how to make it feel natural in, in your own game, talking to our dungeon masters out there. Yeah. If you want to make it natural, I think the biggest point is to try to remove the characters from it. Right. Just look at the theme that you're playing with and the ways that you can it don't. And maybe if you really want to make it natural, don't take it piece for piece. Right. Take elements of it that you like. And if you really want to make sure that it's not noticed as something that has been pulled from a piece of pop culture, put in other bits of pop culture around it from other places. Mask it in, in whatever way you feel is best. Yeah, and you can absolutely pull those uh, kind of structures out of pop culture as well because there's so many like betrayal stories and romance stories and 
big bad stories, you know, of a of an anti um anti villain uh villains that that come out of out of heroic stories that that provide really good frameworks for being able to create your own adventures. And a lot of those arcs that you may be thinking of have probably been done in one capacity or another. Your unique flavor to add to them is the characters that you create and the story that you and your players tell. But the framework is is absolutely out there. And I'd also like to speak to the uh, the other side of the coin is that sometimes it is appropriate to just go and be completely blatant Wait, about we are totally we are playing either in this setting or playing a version of Dungeons and Dragons or whatever tabletop play uh, role playing game you're playing that very much is in this theme, almost in this setting with just a few alterations. Uh, and what I've enjoyed in in a number of circumstances, talking about things like Harambane, which is just kind of a play on words and. I love words a lot. So being almost cheeky in the way that you bring some of the almost parodies of pop culture into your games can be just as fun as as integrating those things naturally and making them feel like a like a, a part of a world that that feels very real. There's no reason why a party couldn't be going into a dungeon, find a treasure that they do not take properly, which unleashes a giant boulder. <laughs> okay sometimes you just got to indiana jones them and oh, yeah. they they can know it perfectly fine there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> i've actually used the giant boulder before i think it was very yeah they they uh they had to they had to i think it was a switch uh that, that may have been covered in gold but but yeah it was I, I very much pulled from that scene specifically to have them running from the side of the room where they pulled the lever to run to the the other one that after the boulder following them it's too much fun not to use <laughs> All right, Jeff, we're doing something a little different today. Indeed. And I don't <laughs> I don't think we started off by saying we're doing something a little different today, but we're doing something a little different today. We're going to we're going to mix up our segments a little. And uh one of the conversations that came up during the week was a great Twitter thread that I saw where somebody said, "We talk a lot about the characters that we make, but what about the characters that your other players are making? Whether you're a player in a game and you want to talk about a player that's sitting alongside you, where you're the DM and you want to talk about the characters that they're making. And so the first thing that popped in my head, we've talked about it a little bit, mm-hmm. and we're going to bring Brittany in to talk about it a little bit as well, is her character for my Curse of Strahd campaign, Riala. Indeed. Hey, y'all. <laughs> and we were talking about this. I we, we were thinking about maybe doing like, uh, you know, talking about a couple of players from our games. You know, you bring up a player and I bring up a player kind of thing, but... But Riala, I mean, we talked a little bit about her. We've hinted at her in our previous episodes before. And I, I was saying in the planning process, we can't not have an entire segment de- dedicated to Riala. It's she's just too fantastic of a character. So she's a beautiful country goddess, and I'm glad that we all love her as much as I do. <laughs> so I was going to say, Brittany, why don't you describe for our listeners? First of all, what you need to do is jump on over to our uh, social media accounts at Dungeons Bastard to check out my fan art of her because it's important. Thank you, Um, social media manager. (laughs) (laughs) But so Riala came from a lot of interesting decisions, but I'll just say she's about 5'6", about 250, 260 pounds. She has very, very pale skin as she's an ASMR. And... uh, gunmetal hair her wardrobe is where it gets some fun though she wears a kind of like a a halter top very skin tight with a heart-shaped boob window (laughs) 
She has a skirt that's down below her belly. It's like a nice uh, tulle light blue and see some uh, stars and rainbow leggings with some pink flats. I very distinctly remember when we were talking about putting this character together. Uh, because we talked a little bit last episode about how we didn't have a real session zero for the Curse of Strahd campaign. So I spent a lot of time with each player helping to get their characters built before we came together. And you had pitched this idea to me. And in my head, I kept thinking, there's no way that this is going to fit in Curse of Strahd. There's no way this is going to work. But we kept going. I would pitch something back, you'd pitch something back, and all of a sudden you had this character fleshed out that has turned into something of a phenomena in the game. I went back and I brought up our Facebook chat of when this character, kind of how it happened, why it happened. Um, Just as some backstory, I feel like we've played a bunch of random one-shots and different campaigns that I'm at the point in my D&D life where I'm like, I want something different. I don't want to be the standard like half-elf rogue or something. I wanted to be something different. Um, And I am always of the opinion of RP over OP, I say, because I think that when you love your character's roleplay, it'll just be so much more fun than if you built it to be OP. Um, So I very much was like, I don't want to be a standard character that everybody's used to. Everybody's always like, I'm super attractive and very thin and muscular. And I was like, you know what? Why can't D&D adventurers be overweight and still be awesome? So I was like, I definitely want to play like a chunky character that's not your like run-of-the-mill D&D character. And I chose a country accent just because it's one of the only ones that I can do easily because I'm from the South, y'all. Um, but yeah, so I messaged you and I was like, I want to be this warlock. Uh, you asked if I had a patron yet. And I said, no. And I was like, I don't even know what I can go with. Like, what are some that are in your world or in this world that I could be? And you started naming some. And I was like, I'm down for whatever. I don't really care. Just pick one. And then you you offered cherub question mark, which is the full message. And I was like, <laughs> I Googled it. So I'm like, wait, can a cherub be Google? No, I'm not talking to you. Go away. So this was a, a celestial patroned yes. warlock. Yes. And uh, so I Googled it and I was like, I don't see cherub as an option for a thing and you're I was like for a familiar and you're like no a patron um and I was like you know what this is kind of perfect because I already planned on her being like chubby and overweight and so like her patron being a fat little baby is like just sounds so amazing to me and her patron's name is uh well I don't know we don't know what her actual name is but Riala calls her her chubbiness her chubbiness but uh you you come back and say I mentioned it as a joke, but if you want a cherub, that would be fantastic uh, contrast to the dark and dreary world of Barovia. And that's a perfect uh, segue for me to talk about how my character very much uh, has been on theme for most of the game with trying to embody the more serious nature of Curse of Strahd. I, you know, have very much taken a stoic approach. I had a very low charisma character. And then we have Riala who comes in and is all rainbows and sunshine and has very much brought light to dark places, which I find particularly interesting as a light domain cleric because that's kind of like my my bond. But you do it in such a brilliant and, and different way. And I just, I just love seeing you at the table. So I created a whole mood board that I sent to you of like all these pastel colors and um, kind of like the vibe of like the outfits that I wanted her to wear. And uh, 
you specifically said, oh boy, she's going to struggle with how dark this world is. And I said, no, she's going to have a positive outlook. Her whole ideal is to be like spreading positivity and brightness and sunshine and rainbows. Um, And then I said, OMG, I need a wand of smiles, which by the way, I don't have yet. (laughs) Remind me. Remind (laughs) me. We'll make that happen. Uh, Yeah. And then it just kind of devolved from there. I think we kind of went back and forth on how that could work. Um, And she's just kind of been getting more and more ridiculous, I think, as the, the sessions go. But I do uh, wanted I wanted to make sure that she's still like super badass, awesome character, even though she's overweight doesn't mean that she can't be amazing. Um, and I think she's really great. Well, it's it's so important because I know in my games I'm not a big fan of joke characters, and so when this first started, I think that may have been where my mind was leaning was like, oh no, here we go, and have a little bit of a joke character, but it didn't turn out to be that way. It turned out to be a very serious character that just had these personality things that really helped to drive the game. And what's really cool is when Chris Estrada, it's such a dark and dreary world. You need that break from the dark so that it's not just this depressing game. And it's really allowed me to be even worse on the dark side <laughs> stuff because I know that Rial is going to turn around and make something positive out of it. Yeah, and it's been really interesting seeing this contrast to the dark world in in a way that is not exactly like you're saying a a joke character i've had a barnold schwarzenegger in one of my games and this is the farthest Mm, thing mm -hmm. from from a you know intentional trying to break the theme she is definitely not from this place doesn't necessarily match the theme of the place but absolutely complements it in such a fantastic way and is such a strong personality evidenced by how many places you've gotten us kicked out of (laughs) all of them all of them so so many places i mean one of the best moments that happened in this game she's one of these characters that makes some of the more serious players kind of bury their head in their hands (laughs) and there was one game where oh poor chris (laughs) we were having to play your character for you because you were you were out medical stuff. And so Jeff and I basically took turns role playing this character. And there was a particular moment because my wife's in this game too. She's it. Riala has become such a force of a character that when my wife's first character died, she wanted to make something that was Riala's cousin. And so she's playing a, a dwarf named Gilda Yep, with a very similar Southern-ish accent. That's and, my uh, cuz, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was a moment in the game where I was role-playing Riala, talking to Gilda. And the way that the conversation turned out, I, I turn over and I see Chris burying his head in his hands. And I said, yes, we did it. We did it. We did it. We, we did this character justice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think when I was thinking about this character and like why I think it's so fun as me playing it, um, for those Critical Role fans, uh, Travis and Laura have both talked about this with their characters in grog and in jester that it's just so freeing like everyone always like in any circumstance you had those stupid thoughts like what if i drive off the road right now that would be dumb but like your brain's like well that's a stupid thought we're not gonna do that but when i role play riala it's like the first stupid thing that comes to mind that's what's happening (laughs) well and 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 it's changed the way that the story has come out there's so many moments i mean you know i'm I'm not gonna say what's happening now because it would be a bit of a spoiler 
but you guys definitely came into uh, kind of an OB moment uh, from how Riala was treating one of the NPCs. And, uh, but it was very much in character. And I'll say the thing that I will never forget, you had brought up pizza mm-hmm. as something that Riala really enjoys. And I, my initial thought was, okay, how am I going to run pizza <laughs> in Dungeons and Dragons? But it was such a non-starter that I was just like, whatever. Listen, we'll, we'll go tomatoes exist, cheese exists, bread exists. It's all there. Riala invented pizza. It's canon. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> you showed up to the first session of the game wearing, uh, I think it was a beanie. I don't mm-hmm. think it was the hat you're wearing right now with pizza on it. It was a beanie with pizza on it. it and I went, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> right. I will never forget that moment of introducing a character based on some of these very random things. It, it just, it's, it's one of those things that's never going to leave my brain. I thought it was so perfect too, because like I said, I wanted the character to be very different from, and I named the stereotypes like super fit with dope ass armor. And I went last and everybody was like, you see this guy, he's ripped with like all black armor. And then it gets to me like, hey, yo, I'm Riala and I'm wearing rainbows and sunshine. And I got these <laughs> pink leggings on and I just got this cute little like star clip in my hair. I just thought it was. And I especially love it because I think bigger characters like that could definitely go in the realm of like maybe bruisers, right? You know, having just like a thick kind of character, but you've completely, you know, taken that to a different space by having a thick character that is a spellcaster that, you know, doesn't benefit from having this big bulking body. And uh, that plays perfectly into the fact that I'm going to say this is important. Brian actually built me a homebrew subclass to fit this. Oh, right. Subrace. Yeah. Sub, <laughs> Subrace, sub sorry. Um, because, so, and also when I built this character, again, with me wanting RP over OP, my stats make no sense. Like, if you're trying to build a warlock, you need specific things. I didn't, I mean, I did it to an extent, but, like, I have zero dexterity. I have a shorter walking speed than I should. Uh, my intelligence is negative one. My wisdom is zero. I very much built her to be her, that happens to have these powers. I wasn't like, let me build a warlock and then go from there. I was like, this is the character. Let me build it around that personality and body type. And then uh, I have the description. Go for it. Do you want? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So we we got together and we said, okay, let's figure out how we can take some of these stats, build something that would give you some benefit to having these stats for being a larger character, but also have some of those detriments in there so that it wasn't just a, well, you get all this cool stuff because you're a little larger. So we came up with, oh, was it full-bodied? Mm-hmm. Full, full, full-figured. Full-figured. figured Asimar. Asimar. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead and, uh, and read the description that we put together for this. Yeah, so I, have a, I have a 12 armor class. So it's like we had some things that were like negatives and then we got some positive outs too. So my armor class is 12, which is evidenced by the fact that I'm wearing a halter top with a boob window <laughs> and a uh, 25 speed. Um But some positives that I got is you gave me a feature called hard to handle. Um, Attempts made by medium or small creatures to grapple me are made with this advantage. Additionally, I have advantage on saving throws against being grappled against medium or small creatures. And it makes sense because I'm so large, I should be harder to grab than a little guy. Yeah. But by giving you that, that was where we lowered your movement speed. Right. Just a little bit. Um, And then the full figured is um, you are gifted with a device. A divine light, an insatiable urge to spread positivity and kindness to the realm and eat food. Any and every kind of food. In turn, there are constant 
They are constantly driven to move forward, always reaching for that carrot or pizza on a stick. Side note, we did that in a campaign or in an episode. I conjured a mirror Im- or minor illusion to be a piece <laughs> of pizza right. to guide me because I was so done with walking. <laughs> um, so ability score increased. My constitution increased by two. I had labor movement, so my walking speed was reduced. Um, and I'm considered a large creature for weight purposes. And then for the like little extra thing, like uh, the divine features that this you was get. the asimer transformation yeah right, you gave right. me divine consumption starting at third level you can use your action to unleash the divine energy within yourself causing your eyes to burn brightly with a divine hunger two small unusable wings sprout from your back you leave a trail of rainbows in your wake you instantly transform other creatures within 30 feet that uh you can see they must succeed a wisdom saving throw blah 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 or be charmed um and I think the way that I played that too is like my wings are like little chicken bones. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the dumbest smile on my face after rehearing that. Just all around gold. So there was one more thing that I thought we should talk about with Riala, and that was that she has a familiar. Right. And um, as far as I could tell, there's no like 5E cherubs. I haven't so seen any. Yeah. I found a couple of homebrews, and I found one that I felt was pretty balanced to be a familiar. I know that the Warlock familiars are supposed to be a little bit stronger. Yep. Well, especially if you choose Pact of the Chain, which I did. Yes. So uh, tell us about your familiar. So my familiar's name is Chubby Jr. So it goes along with her chubbiness being my patron. And so she's also a little cherub, um, much smaller, maybe not quite as chubby as her chubbiness. Uh but yeah, her name's her name's Chubby Jr. And then uh, the way that we played it too, because she is kind of a little bit more than a regular familiar, she can talk. I can talk to her. And uh, that gave you the opportunity to come up with a voice for oh my. my familiar. <laughs> yes. Let's hear it. As if okay. Riala wasn't enough. Uh, so, and I, I had planned this voice for some time because I wanted to sort of unleash it on the players and it got the exact reaction that I was hoping for. <laughs> Hey, uh, CJ, why don't you go check out that thing over there? Make sure it's all safe for us. I don't know about that, Riala. I don't think it's such a good idea. <laughs> Sometimes it gets a little bit higher up there with the voice. I don't know. <laughs> I think that this, the first session that you introduced that voice was also the one where I decided to sing She'll Be Coming Around the Mountain. Oh, yeah. So we <laughs> sang it together. We, we sang a duet. I don't remember. Oh, because. Oh, I was there too, remember? Um, I was singing as Omniel, and I was singing in in like my church hymn voice. So I was, she'll be coming around the mountain. And you guys were, you know, having way more fun with it. The, uh, the familiar has an action called Holy Song, uh, where they sing, and then they have a chance to charm uh, hostiles in the area. And so I had already been singing that as like, I think when we were just like traveling on the road, and I was like, just like trying to get through the like travel scene, basically. And then I needed to use Holy Song. And I was like, hey, CJ, that song that we learned earlier, let's give it to him. <laughs> so fun. Yeah, I, I think um, for those, this might be dating myself a little bit, but. Uh, for my, those that don't my, know, Brian is old. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, my, uh, my inspiration for the voice, and not quite pulling it the way I, I'd like to right now, but was uh, Bobby's World. Yes. Because he's just got this very I like that show. this very odd sort of high pitched, a little bit raspy voice that's like borderline irritating, 
And that was what I was going for. I wanted that really high, kind of raspy, throw a little bit of the Southern accent on it, but be like really kind of irritating. And there have been several times where, uh, <laughs> again, uh, Chris's character sort of being very uh, hands on face yep. with, uh, with the Rialis character has tried to kill Shelby Jr. <laughs> it's not really worked out so well for him no, in those yeah. different times. But not only did I, we really wanted to highlight this character, but it just goes to show that when you really care about putting the good character together, not necessarily good stat wise or combat wise, but you just want to have a good character and you work with your DM and the DM cares to make sure that you are having a good character and that everybody's having fun with that character. You can do so many different things and it's kind of fun to see a character kind of uh, spread their wings. <laughs> They're a little chicken, little little wing. chicken wing. wings. <laughs> so much fun to play. I hope that, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing by the fact that you guys wanted to talk about this today that other people like it. Sometimes I worry that her just like pure incompetence and uh, ridiculous antics get obnoxious for everybody else. She's so endearing and so wonderful to have in the party. I mean, it's basically Riala is is performance art. Set plus four charisma. (laughs) And we want to continue seeing what Riala will do when we put her in in the Riala show as it see, this is sometimes why, I feels. think that's it. That's it. It's, it's after, we want to see what she'll do. Yep. After Shrod, she better get transported back into Brian's homebrew, homebrew world so that she can uh, live on because I just love her too much. <laughs> that's the plan. That's the plan. I'm already working on uh, on what her chubbiness will actually be. Mm, I can't wait. That's the, this, this honestly is one of the best things about being a DM is being able to take the things that the, the players are doing and then say, okay, I'm going to flesh this out a little bit because this is going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, there's a lot in my backstory to play with, too. I think I can't remember how large I said my family was, but it was like aunts and uncles and cousins all living under one roof. It's a very large family that exists out there somewhere. Well, we're making it larger by the day with at adding new characters that have decided they want to be part of your family. If we ever meet that family... Uh, be prepared to have seven different country accent voices oh, going. That's <laughs> perfectly fine with me. I will. I will. I will go and start listening to Larry the Cable Guy on repeat. Oh, perfect. On repeat. I'll bring a bring a Boomhauer in there too. Just dang old man. Now, dang old yeah, man. I'll tell you when we're going down on the farm. I'm dang messed up, just like that. Just like that. Absolutely. <laughs> That's my uncle. He's the smart one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think that wraps us up for the that day, doesn't like it? Good place to good place to wrap it up. Yeah. All right. Great. That's been Dungeons Master, guys. I really thank you for coming along and talking about me. I just I'm just so happy to be here. <laughs> it was such a good show there, Riala. I love you. <laughs> Bye y'all. Wait, wait, wait. We got to pl- plug the socials, right? Oh, no. I'm just... Riala's going to leave now. Oh, Riala's going to leave. Okay. Bye. Yeah. It's probably for the better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Dungeons Mastered Podcast. Jeff, where can they find us? Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Dungeons Mastered. Twitter is the one that they don't give us all of the characters, so we drop the final E for Dungeons Mastered with, uh, without the final E there. 
We're also on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Of course, you're listening to one of them right now, but iTunes, Spotify, the whole nine yards. Uh, I also wanted to alert everybody to a post that we're going to be putting out about the same time that we're going to be publishing this podcast, which is going to be asking for a monster that you would like us to roast in the next podcast. We have a little bit of a segment planned, and uh, if you want to hear your favorite monster get insulted uh, voraciously, viciously, by uh, Dungeons Mastered, uh, Brian and Jeff, uh, go ahead and submit it on that post that we put out. And uh, don't forget, we've uh, made our website live. Oh, yes, of course. www.dungeonsmastered.com. That's right. You'll be expanding that site with more content as we go. But for the time being, you can go uh, see our pretty faces. And uh, it's a great way to find all of our social media from there as well. Anything else you want to end off with? I think that's it. Just thank you guys for listening. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.